Now, if you have Bibles, would you please turn them to John chapter 11? Our sermon today comes from John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the dead. So if you have a Bible, turn there and read along with me. Hear then, church, the word of the Lord. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and, his, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise and quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Then they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, we thank you now for your word. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. We ask that as we gather here and we consider this story and what you have said, that you would work in our hearts, that you would teach us, that you would mold us and you would shape us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, that you would assure us of your love and assure us of the wonder of the gift of salvation you've given to us through him. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. And amen. Well, we come this morning to the greatest of the signs that John has yet recorded for us in his gospel. And this miracle of Christ, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, is packed with significance and meaning. So, for one, it demonstrates that Jesus has the power over death. And the glory of God is revealed through this demonstration of Christ's divine power. And yet at the same time, in this same story, that we have the display of Christ's divine power to raise the dead up, we have a display of his humanity. His humanity as our Savior is shown to us as the divine Son who comes to deal with death and be the resurrection for, and life for his people. We see that, and yet we also see him as the man of sorrows, right? We see him come to Mary and see her weeping. And in the face of death, in the, in the face of the death of his friend and the death of, his, of, of Mary's brother, what does Jesus do? Well, he weeps with her. And even though he knows, Jesus knows, in that moment, he knows that in a few minutes he's going to raise Lazarus up from the dead through his divine power, right? Yet he still feels that weight and that sorrow of death. And he weeps with Mary. So it's a, it's a, a wonderful story, and, and we learn a lot about Christ. We could say there are all sorts of, there's an abundance of Christological treasure here for us in this event. And because of that, we're going to take our time to go through it. So I, I read the whole account of the miracle, but our focus this morning is going to be just on the first 16 verses, and then we'll come back to the rest of it next week. So I want us to consider this morning the way this story begins, knowing how it ends, knowing that Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead in the midst of many witnesses. We go back to how it began. Jesus receives a message from some of his friends, Martha and Mary, people he knew well, people had stayed with on many occasions when he was in Jerusalem because their home was not too far outside of Jerusalem. These friends send to him a message that their brother is ill. And what does Jesus do? What's Jesus' response? What does he do and why? Now my purpose in asking those questions this morning is that the answers shape our understanding of Jesus and what we might expect from him as those whom he loves. You know, let me just say that again. The, we're going to ask those questions, we're going to answer those questions because the way we answer those questions shapes our understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ and what we can expect from him as those whom he loves. 
So look at verse one again. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, at the end of our last chapter, we were told that Jesus and his disciples had gone away from Jerusalem across the Jordan to a place where John the Baptist had been baptizing when Jesus first began his ministry. So now being a good distance away from Jerusalem and therefore a good distance away from the home of Mary and Martha, Jesus receives this letter or this message that from these sisters, from Mary and Martha, that the one whom Jesus loves is ill. Now, they could have just said, our brother is ill, but instead they speak of Lazarus as the one whom Jesus loves. And you might say, well, why would they do that? And the simple and straightforward answer is because they knew it was true. They knew Lazarus was someone whom Jesus loved. Now, it's interesting that the gospel writer, that John, this gospel writer identifies himself a number of times in this gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. Now, some people might wonder at that, why John would would speak of himself in that way, the one whom Jesus loved. Why would he say that? And they might not like it because they might say, well, when John says that, he's implying, isn't that him implying that Jesus loved him more than the other disciples? Or say, you know, he's the one, I'm the one whom Jesus loved, and as if he's saying, Jesus didn't love the other disciples, I'm the one he loved. No, well, that wasn't the point. And similarly, Mary and Martha's message wasn't implying that Jesus loved Lazarus and not them, as if they were saying, well, between the three of us, it's the one whom you love is sick. No, that's not what they were saying. Rather, what we're to learn from this is is very clear. It ought to be well known to every believer, and that is that Jesus loves his own. Those people who know him, are called by his name, follow after him, they, they are loved by him, and they know that they're loved by him. He doesn't come as a reluctant and impersonal savior, but a loving and an intimate savior. And all who know him as their savior can be assured that he loves them and that he loves them. And this is one of the wonderful things about John, John's gospel. It assures the believers that Jesus loves them and he loves them specifically. He loves them personally, just like he loved John. And John could say that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Or the Mary and Martha, they can save their brother Lazarus. The one whom you loved is ill. Just as he loved Lazarus, he loves, if you belong to him, if you trust in him as your savior, if you follow after him, you can know that he loves you just like that. He's no lover of humanity just in a general sense with no loving interest in the individuals he saves. No, he knows each and every one of his sheep. That's what we learned last, uh, last couple weeks in John chapter 10. He knows he's the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. He knows them personally. He knows them intimately. And he loves them individually. And he loves them perfectly. So that every Christian can say of themselves, I'm the one whom he loves. There need be no doubt. We don't have to doubt it. Mary and Martha didn't doubt his love for their brother. And neither do we need to doubt his love for us. And neither do we need to doubt his love for our brothers and sisters in the faith as well. Now, in fact, it's a right habit for us to develop that when we think of our fellow believers around us, especially when we think in the context of the local church, in this church, you're a member of this church. When you think of the other members of this church, 
when you think of the ones that you get along with, when you think of the ones that you don't get along with, to think of them and identify them in your mind as the one whom Jesus loves. They're the ones whom Jesus loves. And if they're loved by our Savior, then how ought we to treat them? And if they're loved by Jesus our Savior, how ought we to speak of them when they're not around? And if they're loved by Jesus our Savior, then how ought we to speak of them to their face? And how ought we to regard them in our minds? And we think rightly when we esteem each other this way, brothers and sisters, that as our Savior knows me through and through, and yet he still loves me, so he loves each and every one of his disciples who are marked by his name, who are Christians. So Mary and Martha, they send this note to the Lord. The one you love is ill. Perhaps more was contained in the message, but that's all John tells us. And it's sufficient because it doesn't take much investigation to discern what their reason was for sending this message to Jesus. Because each of them, when he arrives, did you notice that Mary and Martha say the same thing to Jesus? The first thing they say to Jesus is the same. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you see, they weren't just simply giving Jesus an update on Lazarus' health so that Jesus would be in the know. You know, it wasn't just a we thought you should know kind of note or message. No. No, they sent this message to Jesus in hopes that he would come and heal their brother. They knew Jesus loved their brother. That's why they spoke of him. They were keen to remind him of this. The one whom you love is ill. They knew he loved him. And they wanted to remind him, you love him, right? We know you love him. And they also knew that Jesus had the ability to heal the sick. They weren't ignorant of Christ's power. They had opened up to their home to him before. They had seen some of the miracles. They knew he was the Messiah. So there was no need for them to state the obvious. There was no need for them to say, would you please come quickly? It was obvious that they wanted his help. Whether that meant him coming to them right away or saying the word where he was so that Lazarus would just immediately be healed. So they simply state their need to the Lord, our brother, your beloved friend, the one whom you love is ill. Now, as as we read what Jesus says in verse 4, that the end of this sickness will not be his death, we need to keep in mind that Mary and Martha and the disciples didn't know at this point what Jesus knew. And though his disciples may have heard him say this, it would have been a mystery to them when they received the news from Jesus that Lazarus had indeed died. And this brings us to something that is perhaps a mystery to us, or at least a challenge to our understanding of this whole thing. And that is why Christ would delay in coming to the aid of those whom he loves, who are in a desperate place, who are reaching out to him for his help in that moment. This is the time when they needed him the most, they could say. And why does he delay? Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Maria, or sorry, Maria, Martha. They were, sometimes their friends just called them Maria, you know, to get both of them together. Uh, Who's Maria? Oh yeah, Martha and Mary together. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. You see, there's a strange connection between verse five and six, isn't there? Verse five says that he loved this family. John wants us to know, yes, it is true. Jesus did love Lazarus. And not only did he love Lazarus, he loved Mary and he loved Martha. Yes, Jesus loved them. And then verse six goes on. And so 
Therefore, when he heard about Lazarus, he stayed. He was there for two more days. Now, one might ask, if Jesus really loved them, then why would he delay in coming to them? Why would he wait? Why wouldn't he go immediately? Or why not just heal Lazarus on the spot with a word where he was? Why let Mary and Martha go through this, the, this painful trial of watching their brother get worse and worse, the illness take over more and more of his body, all the while looking to the horizon every minute of the day in hopes that they would see Jesus come walking up with his disciples ready to heal Lazarus. And all of that until the end when their hopes were dashed and their brother breathed his last and the sting of death pierced their hearts. It's not even like Jesus waited till the last moment. Coming in, riding in on a white horse when they really needed him right when the battle was about to turn. No. Lazarus dies. If he loved them, how could he, you know, how could he let them go through that? If he really cared, how could he delay? But here we're told, John tells us, it wasn't for lack of love that he delayed. Rather, it was because he loved them that he did so. And because he loved his disciples who would witness a mighty display of his divine power. For if he had, ha if he had healed Lazarus in that moment, if he had gone immediately, and let's say if he had gone immediately and, and, and was able to reach him in time, as they might say, then they would not have witnessed the glory of God through his son raising up the dead. And their faith would not have been tested through trial that it too might be raised up just like Lazarus was raised. Charles Spurgeon in a sermon on this text says, we have thus plainly before us the principle that our Lord in his infinite wisdom and superabundant love sets so high a value upon his people's faith that he will not screen them from those trials by which faith is strengthened. Jesus was willing for their temporary happiness and comfort to be interrupted in order that their faith in him, his word, his power might increase and that their hope might be firmly fixed upon him as the resurrection and the life. And this lesson is one of utmost importance for followers of Christ today. What are we to think when our Lord delays? What are, we, what are we to think when our Lord delays in answering our prayers? What are we to think when Jesus allows us to go through trials and pain in our lives? The story of Lazarus shows us that his love for us doesn't mean that he will always answer our prayers as we would want him to answer them or in the time that we would want him to answer them. It doesn't mean that he will rescue us from every trial or every hardship in life. Yet the comfort is this, that above our momentary happiness, or we might even say above our momentary good, our Lord's intent is on revealing his glory to us, showing himself to us to be our sufficient savior and growing our faith in him. His love is aimed at our eternal good. His love is aimed at our everlasting joy. His love is aimed at our sanctification and growth in holiness. His love is aimed at our fruitfulness in his kingdom, our participation in the glory that is yet to be revealed to us when he returns. That's the aim of his love. Now the truth is, is it's a much better love than we can sometimes understand, isn't it? For the goodness of his aims for us are often beyond our grasp. 
as we experience sorrow to know how infinite joy will one day swallow all of that sorrow up. As we in ignorance cannot see what our all-knowing Savior can see. We can't see to the end of this day. Do you, have you ever thought of that? You can't see to the end of this day, friend. You don't even know how this day is going to end. And we have a Savior who can see not just to the end of the day. He sees from eternity to eternity. So in each moment, what are we called to do? In each moment, we're called to trust him. Even when we call to him and he seems to delay, we're called to trust him. And we're given a story such as this that we might read and be comforted by these words. Listen to it again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer where he was. It was in love that he delayed. The disciples had a weak faith and that weak faith needed matured. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did not yet know of Christ as the resurrection and the life. He was the Son of God who came in power to defeat death for his people. And they were about to get a glimpse of it, and they didn't even know it. And he was about to prepare all of them, by the way, for a life of service to their Savior King. Think of this. The apostles would one day be under chains, or in chains under the threat of death for preaching the gospel. Under threat of death, every one of the apostles would be under the threat of death one day, in chains, threatened by rulers and authorities for preaching the gospel, and they would be able to say, no threat is too great for my Savior. Put me in prison, and if he wills, he can free me. Give me lashes, and if he wills, they will be healed. Put me to death, and if he wills, he can raise me. And indeed, he surely will raise me on the day that he wills. Now, all the wonders of Christ's intentions in delaying those two days, they could not have known. And even as we speculate on this side of the miracle and on this side of the cross, there are surely mysteries of his grace that we have still missed and mysteries that we won't know till the day he returns and call, or calls us home, right? Now, look then at what the Lord says to his disciples in verse 14. At first, he told them that Lazarus, he was going to Lazarus to wake him up. And they misunderstood him to mean that Lazarus was only sleeping, so they're confused as to why the Lord would risk going back to Jerusalem for such a silly reason as to wake Lazarus up. And so we read in verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. And when Jesus sees Mary grieving, he weeps with her. But in the case of the disciples... Jesus states plainly that he is glad he was not there to heal Lazarus before Lazarus died. Now, they certainly knew Lazarus as well, and he knew that his death would bring them sorrow as well. But Jesus could say that he was glad because it was by his death, it was by Lazarus' death, that Jesus was going to demonstrate his power over death and raise Lazarus up so his disciples might believe, he says. Now, we might wonder at that because we might say, well, the disciples already believed, didn't they? Didn't the disciples already believe in Jesus? Well, yes, to a point they did. So Jesus isn't saying that they had no faith in him at all. He's speaking of the increase of their faith, you see. Of them going from believing in him as being sent from God to believing in him as the resurrection and the life. He's doing what the Lord does who, uh, with all who follow after him. He takes us from faith to faith, right? From a weak and a little faith 
to a stronger faith, to a more mature faith, to a larger faith, to a more solid faith, putting us in places where our faith grows from, we could say, theoretical? Sure, I believe that. To a real faith. Yes, I'm actually trusting in that right now. That's what's getting me through today, is that I'm believing in Jesus, and I'm trusting in him. And for that to happen, generally, our faith has to go through the trial. It has to go through fire. It must be put to the test. And look, this is what he does with Martha as well. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, well, I know that's the case in the resurrection on the last day. Well, sure, yeah, I know Jesus at the end of, at the end of all days, long and distant future, sometime my brother will rise. Yes, Martha, Jesus says, but will you believe that, that the person who has the power of resurrection is standing right before you? Martha, will you believe that if I say right now, Lazarus, come out, he'll walk out of the grave? You believe in some distant future event, that God will do something in the future, and it's easy for you to say that you will believe that that will one day happen. It has very little bearing on your life right now, Martha. But will you believe me right now? Will you trust me in this moment? Will you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? That I'm at work here? That I'm doing something here in your life? Now, when Jesus first received the message of Lazarus being ill, do you remember what he said? He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Mary and Martha may not have understood it at the time. They sent word to Jesus in hopes that their brother would be healed of his sickness and not die. And when Jesus delayed, his disciples may have thought it was simply because he didn't want to risk going back to Jerusalem. The sisters may have thought he did what he could to get there when he did, but their tragedy was just merely beyond his control. But what was really going on the whole time? What was really going on? Jesus knew that the tragedy of Lazarus' illness and his death would be the occasion in which his glory and the glory of his Father would be revealed to those whom he loves. What do you expect from him? What do you expect that he's going to do in your life? This is how our Lord works even today with those whom he loves, isn't it? His aim is the revelation of his glory. That we might see his glory. We might see him as he truly is. That we might trust him. That our faith may grow that we might walk in obedience to him and that we might serve him with joy and gladness in all that we do, knowing he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it all. Why? Because we're getting glimpses of his glory. And because he's the resurrection and the life, we can be comforted by this word, that all our trials, all our struggles, all our sickness, in the end, will not lead to death. But, but to life everlasting and the joy of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In a sense, all Christians can say this, this tragedy does not lead to death. It will not lead to my death. Ultimately, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I will see it one day. And I will see him as worthy. Amen. Let's pray. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for according to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this we rejoice, O Lord, Though now for a little while, if necessary, we've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, might be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Though we have not seen him, oh, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him. And we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and for all time. And amen.